Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse! Welcome to Cancel the Apocalypse, uh, a utopian podcast with Raph. Hey, that's me. And Dom, where we talk about stuff. Culture, literature, media, uh, our opinions. Yeah, ideally to do with Utopia, which is... We try and do things where we're like, here's something that is flagrantly being sold to us as a Utopia. Is it a Utopia? No. Maybe it isn't. And and, and then here's something that is the 1995 film Hackers. I thought it was 1997. Fuck. Anyway, we sometimes... It was also actually not a Utopia, but you know, the point is... We address things that are like attempting to be Utopias and point out how they're failing, and we address things that aren't even remotely trying to be utopia and point out how they kind of are. Yeah. Um, We're in this to find answers to um, make the world less shit for ourselves. And everyone else. And everyone else. We're all in this together. We are in this together. Uh, As the High School Musical song. Now that, objectively, a utopia. High School Musical. The first one, not any of the other. In that everyone sings all the time? Yeah. In utopia, everyone is, is, um, has to sing. Which, uh... Doesn't sound... Me... No, no, it doesn't. Which, I was gonna I was gonna make a segue. You know how you make really good segues? There isn't one. Yeah. No one at all sings in the, I think, 2014 or 15 film Tomorrowland. I mean, probably... Probably because of how Hollywood works, they had a lot of the same producers. I have not done any research. No, that's fine. Um, I've done a lot of research. Wait a second. They're both Disney productions. There you go. I was hey, correct. Much like High School Musical, the Utopia... Tomorrowland, not a utopia, is also made by Disney. There we go. Yeah. Smooth. Yeah. So um, I'm bringing to the table today Tomorrowland, which is a film that my friend Hannah um, implored me to talk about. So here I am. And you are bringing to the table. I mean, we both are bringing to the table because we're both interested in it. Mm. What is it? Solar Punk. Mm. So not any single text from Solar Punk, just sort of like the, the concept. I don't know if you could call it a. a the, the, the style of literature, the form, and... Aesthetic. aesthetic. Yeah. yeah, and like and how that links to I mean, that... to cyberpunk and how it's a reaction yeah. and a response to that. But it's it... also our response to E3. Um, I mean, yeah, I and week. and Keanu and... and um, cyberpunk 2077? Cyberpunk 2077, uh, Watchdog Legion. I heard they also released a new Pokemon who looks like a corgi. Yeah, it's got a wiggly butt, yeah. That's really important. Um, as we've discussed Pokemon, not Utopian. Um, oh, man, Detective Pikachu. That was a film that sure happened to my eyes for like at least an hour and 40 minutes. Hey. Did I tell you my horrible realisation like less than halfway through that Detective Pikachu is having it? <laughs> um, for those who do not know... Um, Dom is convinced, and so far is absolutely right, that everything is Hamlet. Detective Pikachu is not just, like, accidentally Hamlet. I think it's genuinely trying to be Hamlet. It's pretty intentionally Hamlet. And, oh. like, that's the thing. A lot of the things aren't trying to be Hamlet. Like, Metal Gear Solid, Hamlet, on accident. Yeah. Lion King, Hamlet, on purpose. On purpose. And then Detective Pikachu, which they weren't trying to do Hamlet, but they were trying to make a story, and then stumbled into Hamlet, and then just leaned in. Everyone's I mean, we fine. could talk about we could talk about the the context like of the film Detective Pikachu as a potential utopia, 
uh, not really the, the wider world of the games. But instead we're talking about Tomorrowland, which was started out not as a, a script or anything like that, but more like Pirates of the Caribbean as a ride before yeah. it was anything else. Yeah. It was a ride at Disneyland. Yes, all world. I honestly can't remember. We talk about Disney a lot. Well, it's... A lot of our episodes have been have had Disney in them. I'm afraid Disney owns a lot of media. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid it's kind of unavoidable. If we're talking about literature and we're not talking about Disney, we're left with... Moonlight and uh, Umbrellas of Sherbet. Catcher Sherbourg. in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. I think that's it. Anyway, we keep yeah, not right, talking okay. about Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland because Land. Tomorrowland sucks. So Tomorrowland is a film by Brad Bird. Brad Bird is um, the director of um, The Iron Giant, which is the first film I ever saw in a cinema. I love Iron Giant. It's a wonderful film. He's also, he was, I think, one of the main producers for The Incredibles. Yeah. Um, he was the voice of Edna Mode. Solid flick, solid, yeah. solid role. Yeah, and the second one as well. Um, and then he, but his, you know how like every director, and this is definitely like a Disney story, right? Every director's got their passion project. Oh, yeah. Brad Bird's passion project is Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland was a ride. Um, I think it was somehow connected to, I'm going to get this wrong, but it doesn't matter, to the world's... World's Fair, Fair. yeah. And it was... In the 1950s. So, it which it is, was like, here's, here's all this technology and how it will uh, help... Yeah. You live, and it was essentially the early smart home of like it, it solves problems for you, and it, it's it's got all the modern conveniences. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It, it was it was it's fascinating because World's Fair is like the the retro future that that at that point was just the future mm. that never came to pass anyway, but was then like reappropriated back into science fiction from mm. then on, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of, and in fact, Tomorrowland is all about this. So. Um, in the film Tomorrowland, um, it starts with the World's Fair, where a cabal of scientists called, I think, Plus Ultra? Oh boy. Mm, um, have devised this magical dimension. A magical science fiction city, a retro-future science fiction city in a magical dimension that only they have access to. And their plan, I see your face, it's a good face, uh, their plan is to save humanity by like moving them all to this dimension. But, fast forward to the current day where a generic, lovable teenager um, is, whose father, like, I think works for NASA and has been laid off, is all, like, moping, and she finds a Tomorrowland pin, which is like a pin with a T on it. She touches the pin, she finds herself in that world, and then she's like, oh my goodness, then there are adventures, there That's are a... robots, there's, there's shooting, and then she meets the girl... Who was at the beginning of the film? It was in the 1950s, and she hasn't changed. She's also obviously also a robot. The girl gave her the badge. I'm sorry, the girl's a robot. The girl's a robot. Not no, the... no, 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 not lovable. The lovable teenager is not a robot. She's just your classic okay. good, good white, white American so, kid. So we got a human. We got a human teen, and we have a we have a robot teen. We have a robot girl. Like she's like nine. Oh, okay. She's she's little. Um, and this robot girl is like, I gave you the pen because I need you to save the world. Um, I gave the pin to someone else before, and this was the kid, the boy, at the beginning of the film. Who's now played by George Clooney. He's now played by George Clooney and George Clooney's beautiful eyelashes. My God, they're so lovely. But that kid failed her and failed Tomorrowland. Okay, so young George Clooney failed Tomorrowland. Right. How is this remote, like, get to the point of, like, okay... What the fuck was baby George Clooney supposed to do to save the world? And what does that have to do baby with Baby George dimension? Clooney was a brilliant scientist whose science was, was misunderstood by everyone apart from this girl. Oh right? my god. And then they sort of fell in love even though she was a robot. And then Gross. they couldn't fall in love because she was a robot. And then Gross. he realized, and he built 
a tachyon machine which sees the future. And he looked into the future in like the 1950s or whatever and saw that the world is going to end in like seven days from, from our present now. Right? And then he was horrified and he was like, we must change this. And the scientists were like, oh no, that's really terrible. Can't do anything about it. Better lock ourselves away in this pocket dimension forever and watch the world burn. That's... So he leaves, and now he's a sad, cynical old man who lives in a fortress house, and he keeps spying on the pocket dimension, and the plucky teenager comes to him, and she's like, we must save the world together. They then go to the pocket, go to the pocket dimension, and they're like, please, help us save the world. And the scientists are like, oh, I'm so sorry, the future. And then they realize that actually the scientists are the ones who are broadcasting. They're not just capturing the future, they're broadcasting that terrible version of the future which is like every dystopia at once. It's like riots and climate change and, and um, like infernos and everything all happening at once into our world so as to end it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So then they kill Hugh Laurie. They kill Hugh Laurie, who is an evil scientist, um, and decide that they, they, they turn off the evil tachyon signal and create a new band of people to whom they give these pins and these people who are the dreamers this is like very Walt Disney, right? These, they're like the dreamers and they're going to dream new ideas. They're all very racially diverse and also diverse in terms of age and gender and, and everything else. Jewish. Exactly. And they all, they all appear in this weird field and which is like outside the magical pocket dimension city and they all are going to start dreaming a better tomorrow in their pocket dimension. Yeah, defi- definitely, definitely social change is made by exceptional individuals. At one point in the film... Ugh. The robot and Frank, the kid, the boy, who's George Clooney, um, have like like get a photograph on like they make a photograph and write on the photograph, "We are the future." Kills me, dumb. It. I have so many problems with this film. I have a lot of problems just with the fact that I don't know. I don't even know how long you've been talking, but. Uh, I have been passed out for most of it because yeah, it was just bad to listen to. It's bad to watch. Okay, um, so in terms of in terms of its utopian failings, so I, 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 ostensibly this pocket dimension is meant to be a utopia. That well, no, let, let, let's just start with this. The film explicitly sets itself out to be a utopia. The right? pocket dimension, Tomorrowland. No, I mean the film. In, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah the, the film explicitly sets out to show a utopia and show a utopia in relation to the real world, which is terrible. And I'm, I, it's interesting that it is like that extremely American concept of we're going to this place where there's nothing there and we are making utopia in the empty space. Yes. So exactly. the very, the very, very much Thomas More's utopia. Thomas More, no place, right? It's like it's yeah. no place that is also, it's not on any map. It can only be found through dreaming and through believing. The reason that the teenager, by the way, can save the world is that like, a, like she brings hope, right? And... Uh, like whenever she does a bit of hoping and she's like oh the world can't be that bad the like the probability of the tachyon interference goes down a bit look i don't know? know enough about tachyons to say that's bullshit but it seems like bullshit yeah i look i, I yeah. so it's like it's extremely corporate right because it's also selling it's selling disney it's selling disney and disney pins yeah it's literally selling disney pins it's the and the whole thing operates on this like weird like retro future economy where all of the good things that have happened have already happened mm, mm-hmm. because so like so Hugh Laurie it like hasn't hasn't aged right he's locked in his pocket dimension he drinks like 
um, magical elixir of youth. Elixir of youth that the scientists have developed. Um, and because that's utopian. That's utopian. And, the, and the scientists are like, oh no, we can't let anyone into this dimension because they're bringing all the bad vibes with them. They'll they'll make out this dimension exactly the same as their dimension. They've got this magical technology. They've got like like clean energy and everything. It's just it's a really fascinating. So an exclusionary I, utopia. It's an exclusion. Well, it's it's extremely exclusionary. It's also like it. it the whole premise is that it was meant to to be for everyone, but oh, you all fucked it up, right? Because, and this is really interesting, because Domino saw a, a, a play today which, which is about climate change, and one of the sort of uh, b- bits in the play is a media person being like, well, I mean, like, I hate scientists because, like, I try and give them a fair hearing and they can't even communicate their ideas properly. No wonder that no one... Believes in climate change and likes them. Um, and at one point in the in the film, Hugh Laurie is like, "Well, no, no, no. Actually, the the tachyon source signal started off with goodwill. We tried to show them the terrible future that they were that they um, were, were that they were going into, and they just lapped it up and and they just tried to get there as quickly as possible. They fucking love that media that we keep showing them. And I'm like." This is fascinating. This is Disney literally broadcasting. It's mm. like good, chill, clean, nice Disney vibes. Mm. It's like, well, I mean, you know, like, like th- there's Disney, but you guys have to keep watching all the terrible stuff. Mm. I just, it really fascinates me. It's, it's, it's so strange that it's posing uh, Disney as an underdog when it's so... It's like, the absolute. Under- it's the overdog. I, mean, I find it fascinating um, that you know all all films by nature of fictional world have to exist in a universe where they don't exist, right? The film doesn't. Yeah. The film doesn't exist, um, and all Disney films exist in a universe where Disney doesn't exist, which I just find really interesting. Mm. Um, except for like some of their like teen programming for TV actually plays. Oh, and in they'll recognize. Ways. Yeah, exactly. you're from other show on the same channel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but like, but like for the most part, all Disney films happen in a world where Disney doesn't exist, and it's like. Which means Disney has now just become like in the, in the world of Tomorrowland has it become this like meme, mm. this like bad hope meme. And oh oh oh, and there's another thing. Hugh Laurie is like, yeah, um, we tried to create a world that was like beyond politics and beyond the meddling of like bureaucracy, and and uh, you all just fucked it up. My... You just you ruined it for us. We pure scientists My... called. Plus ultra. My eyes are rolling so hard, I've strained something. I just... It's like... Okay, so I guess my question is, is like, like... What is, what is the way in which this film could have, like, a redeeming kernel in it? I mean, the redeeming kernel because, is... Because, right, like... No, like, we have a good example of what not to do. Uh, and like, it's having a bunch of scientists be like, we're plus ultra... Fucking hell! <laughs> That's yeah. What what I find interesting is even as a passion project, it seems extremely soulless. Like it seems like it was very clumsily put together by a a, a huge team of writers. I mean, this is no, right. This one interesting. It did badly. It did really badly. It tanked. Mm. It. I I think it may have even lost the money, which is unusual for a for a, a large Disney project with it was, George Clooney. In. With George Clooney, in it. it was rushed. Because it was coming out for a Disney anniversary, maybe whatever, however many years Disney okay, are, sure, it, sure. It, you know, it was, it was a rush for that. So it seems like it, you know, like it could have been a lot better, could have had more plot. But like the things like this fail, and then people will assume they fail. I think because 
like they don't teach us good lessons. This is my concern. I don't know. I mean, I lots of things. Lots of things fail for loads of different reasons. Uh, just saying that it doesn't teach us good lessons is not enough. Like it, it failed because it didn't engage its audience, and so it, mm. is, it cannot teach us good lessons because it didn't get anyone to fucking watch it. Yeah. Like, there's there's things we can take from it, and it's like how not to make a fucking film. Oh, also, uh, when George Clooney's robot girlfriend dies, um, okay, she he drops her from a jet like he's on a jetpack, and he drops her into the tachyon machine, and she, where she explodes and destroys the tachyon machine, and then it falls on Hugh Laurie, which frankly was the best bit of the film. It was actually kind of great. I'm sorry, was there a reason why you told me that horrific anecdote? <laughs> no. Not even remotely. I hate the fact that we're talking about this bad film. Like, it's not just bad as a utopia. It's bad as a film. It yeah. seems poorly constructed. Um, and I, I would like to segue into the thing we were going to talk about yeah, sure. next. Because, like, this is... Th- this kind of critique of, oh, there's a famous person in it, but it's tanked really badly ties nicely to some of the the E3 cyberpunk stuff. Yeah, sure. So there are at least, like, the three big AAA games that are explicitly cyberpunk. One of them is called Cyberpunk 2077, one of them is called Watchdog Legion, and one of them is called um, Ghost Recon something-something. Yeah. Tom Clancy's something-something-something. Who is Tom Clancy? Is he a real person? He's a real person. He writes airport novels. Oh, him. And the game is based on one of his airport novels. Uh, it's up there with Jeffrey Archer. And all of these games have, at the heart of them, like, a, a response to, you know, the, our increasingly mechanized uh, age and, like, the idea of uh, data flow and how we are surrounded by seas of uh, information we can barely process. Mm-hmm. And then weaponizing that and being able to punch guys real good with your yeah, robot arms. Robot arms! Or having a hacker grandma being able to bump in. And there's, like, you know, John Bernthal and um, Keanu Reeves and some famous voice actors involved in these right. projects. It's like, like a, like a cool... If not George Clooney, then some George Clooney adjacent yeah. um, individual. Ke- and, uh, but, a Kevin Bacon number of one. Sure, yeah. yeah. And all of them, all of these games, like, they haven't come out yet, so I can't offer any actual, you know, I, I'm, no, I'm probably not going to play them, I'm not good at games. But they all have this thing of people are already starting to critique them. Partly because someone like, you know, Ubisoft, I think, who's releasing Watch Dogs Legion, you know, they are, the premise is like, you know, we are, have to form a popular resistance. Literally, this is in the trailer. Mm. We have to form a popular resistance against a totalitarian government. <laughs> and like two weeks before, Ubisoft had been like, we don't make political games. Oh, this was them who was like, oh, no, 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 we don't have politics in our games. And yeah, exactly. Like, have you played any of your own games? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Cyberpunk 2077, people are interested because you have all these white boys with robot arms who are the main characters in the, in the game. Um, but then the response is like, well, body modification is inherently not for cis-het whites. Um, and mm. the cyberpunk, even though it was invented by a cis-haired white dude, you know, so, you know, the term at the very least, yeah, the popularized term, yeah. by yeah. William Gibson. Definitely popularized, yeah. It's, the, the, the claim by a lot of people at the moment is that it's inherently not for, you know, white men and so on and so forth, where I don't think that's true. I think, I think 
cyberpunk has always been a, a huge aesthetic and a huge and really interesting way of thinking about the world in the future, but it's also very easy to make it uh, a nihilist, grim revenge fantasy where you don't have to do a bunch of reps because you can like yeah. teach yourself kung fu by getting an implant. Thanks, Keanu. I mean, absolutely. Like, like you have to you have to treat. Um, uh, aesthetics and cultural like trends on at their face value. You can't be like, oh, X isn't for cis-het white men. If the cis-het white men are consuming, I mean, it it shouldn't be. That's an entirely different question. But an it entirely is. different concern. But it is, and I think it's interesting to work out why. Yeah. So I th- I just think it's really interesting because there's these these huge, very popular games uh, that are sort of presenting themselves as something original and kind of alternative to the mainstream, even though they are the mainstream, um, and, and saying, like, we're doing something really special because we're focusing on, you know, this cyber future where mm. you get to, to harness the, the forces that control you in your own life um, and shoot them. This is my concern with, my concern with, like, cyberpunk things and their avowed political sentiments is mm. that... Um, they well, you know, s- saying things like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, it's clearly like dating it into the future, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, and saying um, like the setting of the Watchdogs game is like a near future London with like drones and shit, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like um, it's saying that totalitarian government is slightly ahead of us. Instead of present, Instead yeah. of present, right? Which is interesting, because mm. obviously you can't argue that um, people are not being shot on the street for disobeying curfew or searched whatever colour skin they are or whatever on the street. You know, right now, it's just that, that it's it's everyone else who is being searched who is not, like, as much in the game. It's just, like... This is what you were saying at the very beginning, I think, of the podcast about, like, um, disaster being... Disproportionately, uh, apocalypse is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Unevenly distributed. That's and, the one. and I think, see, this is why I wanted to talk about Cyberpunk and Tomorrowland together because they're yeah. both extremely retro futurist. So Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven dated in the future, but remember the video game is based on a tabletop RPG that is called Cyberpunk twenty twenty mm. because it was written in the eighties and it was this near future that, in some ways, has come to pass. It's yeah. like. Uh, you know, the factionalism, the middle class is gone, and we've just got a very rich and very poor, but also Walkmans. Like yeah. Walkmans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean I mean the very concept of getting of getting Keanu Reeves in is mm. very much a callback to like I mean it's such an interesting because like culture is so layered at this point and the aesthetics are so layered in the sense that the Matrix was already a retro, retro f- and it had this yeah. retro feel to it. Yeah. Um and it was simultaneously very modern, mm-hmm. very like future thinking and all of its amazing effects and so forth and so getting neo in yeah. to your, it's it feels very much like recuperating the washed up rock star except he's not actually like he's actually apart from the fact that keanu is very sad he's actually doing fine oh so, yeah so it's it's really it really feels like 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 he's doing them a favor yeah no absolutely it by does. stepping back into those shoes you know i mean he's also very famous for bill and ted's excellent adventures which is about time traveling to create a mm, utopia which we should talk about we should at some talk point about. It's a great film um but like yeah, the, the, this idea that uh, Tomorrowland, the the genre of cyberpunk, are both backwards looking and yeah. expecting that things 
uh, will and can change thanks to an individual. This very bourgeois idea that it's an individual action, the revolution. Right, yeah, so... Um... Done by the Dreamers, or Johnny Silverhand, or whatever. <laughs> Is that Keanu's name? That's Keanu's name in the it's game. It's a good name, it's a good yeah, name. Johnny Love Silverhand. It. Johnny Silverhand. Yeah. Um, I guess... I guess a lot of cyber... Okay, so this is my other concern, and I want to now bring in the third... I mean, we're jumping around a lot, but I want to bring in the third um, thing we're going to talk about, right, which is solarpunk. Yes. Um, and solarpunk is essentially a one of the many kinds of ex-punk that have appeared sort of in the last ten years mm. as, like, aesthetics and uh, for writing and for, for, like, playing role-playing games, and I guess... And, um, art, and like, art. And... Art, yeah. Especially, especially art in the case of solarpunk. And solarpunk is sort of, like... A combination... It started off as a manifesto about, like, what kind of things you'd see in solarpunk. So yeah, it was like, very much aesthetically focused. So it's it, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a positive vision of the future, but the focus is on vision. It's on what you can see. Exactly, right. Yeah. So it's solar panels, art deco, lots of... Um, robes. Lots of, lots of robes, lots of... Gardens. Uh, gardens. Green spaces exactly. all throughout your city. Yeah. And maybe you have a robot arm, but you also water your plants with the robot arm. Right. Instead of punch... Whatever. It is very much like, uh, and there's another related genre called hope punk, which um, is. Uh, I imagine that they were interchangeable with solar punk because all I think the they are. I think they are. Is... Because the opposite is grim dark, right? This is yeah. the and grim dark is like Warhammer forty k, like like the world is locked, the universe is locked forever in a terrible, never ending war where everyone is suffering all of the time. It's all terribly bad. Mm-hmm. And hope punk and solar punk are like are like actually we can make things better and. Um, it's very, very nice. My fascination with it stems from the fact that there doesn't appear to be much written. There appears to be way more written about solar punk, than actual including solar many, punk. many like think pieces mm. than actual solar punk stories or or manifestos. Or exactly. Anything. Yeah, it's really, really. There's and... a few anthologies, but a there's way more cyberpunk anthologies, and b yeah, way more commentary on it than there is actual. Solarpunk. And I think the commentary is, is illustrative of the fact that we're very, very fascinated with this, like, burning question of, like, how to make the world better or how to find resources for change. But we also want things to be pretty, you know? Whether that prettiness is, like, cyberpunk prettiness with LEDs or, like, watering your plants with your robot arm prettiness, but I think a, in, in many ways, like, solarpunk doesn't have protagonists... Mm. because it doesn't have stories it has it doesn't have narratives attached to it it's just got like sights and vibes and aesthetics which weirdly i find make it quite like like and clearly people are into it and it makes people get into it because there's no because anyone could be a solar punk yeah are you saying that prettiness is not good i'm saying that prettiness is very good um because like it's the bread and roses argument it's like i want the future to look good i mean lots of people do want the future to look good i'm just pissed off about tomorrowland Tomorrowland, Which... Tomorrowland's retro future is beautiful, right? It's gorgeous. It's also, the whole thing's fucked because um, when she, like, touches the pin and goes into Tomorrowland... That's she... a very clumsy teleportation system. Well, you find out later that it's not even a teleportation system. She's actually in a magical hol- hologram ad, right? And she's, like, she's, it's actually an ad where she, like, gets taken in the ad to a spaceship I or whatever. This. Right? I hate this. And then it was the ad that was never actually sent out for like the party where everyone moves into Tomorrowland, but then they realize that humans and human nature is terrible. Stop talking about, about the bad film. The bad, bad film. But um like yeah, like like Tomorrowland's 
the actual this, okay, this is what I'm saying is the actual utopian moment in Tomorrowland is an entirely narrativeless like aesthetic advertisement for a utopia that doesn't even exist in the pocket dimension that it's advertising for because our future never happened anywhere right ever. okay that is very clever yeah that is a very it's almost a very clever critique that they ha- that they stumbled upon by accident um, yeah, it is. And, and I see why that ties really well to the idea of solarpunk being a, a, an aesthetic, a dream that we talk about, but have very few uh, policies as to how to realize it. Mm. And I, I talk about being a teacher, um, you know, uh, uh, I had this interesting conversation in an, uh, an RE class, religious education class with year six. Uh, where the topic was how do we make a more respectful society and they all had different things which is like you know um, more more bins and so we have always more bins well kids are really into recycling i love it no yeah it's good um and uh you know like more more places for the for homeless people and more jobs available because like homelessness doesn't come from nowhere it's like yeah thanks thanks bill um (laughs) but one kid was like well, like, air pollution's really bad in London. I was like, yes, it is. I was like, so we should get all electric cars. Mm. And I was like, well, you realize that electricity does come from burning coal, so there's got to be another alternative. And he was like, oh, like, solar panels. Panels. Someone else in the class was like, what happens if it gets dark or, like, cloudy or, like, in winter when the sun's never around? Yeah. And the kid who said solar panels was like, yeah, just have a solar panel and, like, a wind turbine on top of everyone's house. Kids will be friends with, them, with an extinction rebellion, huh? Well, yeah. I, I mean, no, no. These kids have not heard of Extinction mm. Rebellion. They're not from inner London or fucking... But it's interesting because these things make sense and they're just working them out in themselves. process, right? Yeah. yeah, like this is one of my favourite things about children is when they figure out like really cool, important things from first principle. Like mm. I, I told this as a joke in one of my stand-up shows yeah. where a kid um, was like, we were talking, I don't even remember how it came up, but we were, I was like, you know, Oh, no, we're talking about taxes, I think. It's like, why, why do people pay taxes? Because mm-hmm. I imagine at home someone was complaining about it. It's like, well, you know how you get water from a tap? Like, your family does pay for that. And she was like, no, what? But, like, I mean, like, you get water from a tap out in the world. Like, the city pays for that. It was like, it should be free, like Wi-Fi. And I was like, Wi-Fi isn't, not is not free. Mean. And she was like, yeah, it's free. Like, music you download from YouTube. And I was like, no, you're meant to... Your parents are paying for Wi-Fi. Someone pays for your phone bill and someone should be paying those music artists. And she was like, well, the government should pay for all that. It's like, yes. <laughs> yes, they yes, should. Sarah. They should, Sarah. They should. They absolutely should. Yeah. Uh, and like, this was, this was from a... Like, and music. then also, we should be the government and we should all pay to be the... Look, I There mean, should be a universal basic income. There should Shana? be, Sarah. Poor Shayna, she's trying her best. These are all different kids who've told me these things because all these, because all these different kids come up with it. It's not just someone who has like, it's not just it's not just some fucking hip kid whose parent is like talking like to like talking radio about the, Yeah, who's like read about these the, are the kids who like yeah. they think it through and they're like, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense that there's a lot of homelessness. Not just, and we shouldn't just give them a place to live. We should give them a job. Or, and, and then you say, well, there are different reasons why you might be homeless and some of that's mental illness. And they're like, well, shouldn't they have free therapy? Yes. Yes. Yes, Elliot, they should. They should, Elliot. Yeah, so, I mean, and like, so the thing that... And, like, this is where Solopunk comes in. And this right? is what Tomorrowland was kind of trying to do. And this with, is like... definitely what Tomorrowland was trying to do. Mm. And, like, I do see the good intentions mm. somewhere in Brad Bird's enormous brain. Um, is it enormous... Got, is it is it a bird brain? He's 
Rim Um Yeah, I can see what Brad Bird is doing, and I can see that Brad Bird is like is like. Um, I want there to be a vision, a beautiful vision of a better future, um, and I want to show it to kids and get them all fired up about saving the world. But also, but like at some point, and I'm not like not blaming Brad Bird, but Brad Bird and his team of ex- executives, it went through the Disney mill, and mm. it came out as I want there to be a beautiful, pretty world. Right, and the reason it's pretty is because there's no politics or bureaucracy or like like demands in it. That it's just pretty in and of itself, magically, because it's a magic. Like, but children don't actually think like this. They don't. Children don't think the way the Disney executives must think they think. Mm. Children actually work shit out, mm. and just like humans, on account of their humans, they like. They 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 think things are nice when they make logical sense within the world within which they are, and so this is my like problem and also good thing about about solar punk is that I like the fact that it's beautiful, but also I'm kind of frustrated because I'm like, great you've got an Art Deco city, it's everything's Art Deco and covered in in plants, plants. um, but like where did the, all that Art Deco came from and where are the plants and like. Where are the street cleaners and who's where are the unions and yeah. like like there's no politics in this. Mm. Um, and I think maybe the Ho Punk thing in its separation from Solar Punk is that maybe it's a little bit more political, a little bit more practical, a little bit more practical. Um, but at the same time, I think this is a kind of thing where you can show someone the beautiful image and then they can go, okay, right, um, let's set up the cover everything in plants collector you know, or whatever this what this reminds me of, what the solar punk thing like my issue is it reminds me of i was in sydney i was uh seeing a talk by uh an activist who was uh palestinian lebanese so she uh was born in palestine she would have been 60 or so when i saw her give this talk she lives in a you know a, a slum in lebanon and she's an organizer for uh you know, it's, she she runs a women's collective and you know trains them and like stuff. And people were basically talking like, you know, she was saying like, "Oh, I'm an organizer, help fund my organization." Um, people were talking, being like, "Oh, how does this work?" And blah blah blah. And some bloke uh, stood up and was like, "Have you guys considered solar panels?" And she just kind of looked at him and was like, "We run extension cords through huge holes in the roof and like roofs, like roofs and walls regularly collapse. We we cannot." have solar panels and that's that kind of disconnect that i think happens all of the time it's like and that's the child's approach of why don't you just put a solar panel on look at buddy i would love to Mm. but there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen before that and a kid's extremely simplistic approach to how to solve problems why don't you give them free therapy why don't you just put solar panels and everything is something that needs to be run through the mill of Politics and bureaucracy and red yeah, tape, right? Uh, exactly. Not just like not. So essentially, the end of Tomorrowland is that like like the kids go because it's obviously the kids who course. can who can see hope, hope, and who can see the best people for creating dreams, right? And so it's so what they do. It's like a double edged strategy. First, they get an army of children. They give all the children little bad like boxes of badges, and the children will go out into the world and give the badges to the people who are the most like dreamy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and fill the city with dreamers. Um, what it is is that, like, simultaneously, it's weirdly exclusionary in the sense that it's not clear at the end of the film whether the city will be opened up in the future at all, ever, 
right? Because what they're really doing is they're taking them all to Tomorrowland, to the city, so, where they will maybe make the city better and make sure that Hugh Laurie, like, never repeats his Hugh Laurie mistakes of being evil. But, like... You're, you're taking still... all these people out, out of... of the world! Are they, are they... How do they explain this to their family? Oh, I know, exactly. Uh, but also, it's also, like, um... Is weird, like, mix of, like, like the people they assemble is this weird mix of, like, artists and scientists and musicians, right, who all, like, like find these badges hidden in their stuff. Um, and, like, what about also everything else that goes beneath... Into and, society. And into society and below that. And it's, like, it's a, it's a very Disneyfied version of, like, what makes up, I think... Where are the nurses? Where are the street cleaners? Where are the teachers? Exactly. I think Disney just fundamentally haven't moved on from seeing, like, the world as a village. And, like, seeing, like, like everything... In this very, very macro scale where, like, you know, like the individual can solve the problem because the problem is, it j- just doesn't, it doesn't need politics. It just needs dreams and hopes. And you can just, like, look at it and it's like, you can look at your village and you can work out what needs to be done. You can put a solar panel up. And it's also fun to remember, um, by fun I mean horrific, to remember that the village, the villages that Disney do run, like Disney World, Disneyland... You know, they are mm-hmm. entirely facades, and there is a huge rate of, like, underpayment. Um, I'm not going to go ahead and say slave labor, but it's something like that. And there's a, a, a huge number bullying. of... Institutional bullying. Institutional a, a huge number of uh, Disney employees are not only underpaid, but are homeless. They live in the car park of where they work, you know, and they're still expected to come in, clean up after, you know, children having this incredible dream experience. Mm. Uh, promote the incredible dream experience, and then go and sleep in their car. I find this really interesting thing. Um, I'm pretty sure that Disney employees are never allowed to say no. I seem to recall this. Yikes! I may may have made this up, but to be perfectly honest with you, it sounds very likely, right? Mm. Like, I think what they can... Like, if they don't know an answer to a question... I'll find out. I'll find out. Or or you can ask someone else, right? But they can never, ever say no. And this makes perfect... Like, this is exactly how Disneyland works. It's also not how Utopia works. Mm. Right? I was reading an article on um, the poetry of Charles Bernstein, who's a language poet, and, and Charles Bernstein's poetry is, like, famously difficult and famously, like, annoying, and he keeps, like, dis- like he keeps, like, just sort of yelling at his reader, right? And this article was making this point that, like, um, if you see it all as a kind of iron, you know, this, this, this you have to, like, like language poetry before you can buy this argument, but if you, like, see it all as a kind of, like, reverse irony, then what actually Charles Bernstein is saying is that, like, um, in my utopian world, and he, he does believe in utopian politics, um, you have to have a lot of disagreement for that to function. And I am going to keep disagreeing with you, and I really, I, I'm going to keep doing it until you start disagreeing with me, and then we're going to get somewhere. Okay. And, like, you know, I mean, like, yeah, you can buy it, you can not buy that. But I think there is, that's something that doesn't happen in Disney, right? Like, the person who disagrees with you is evil. Yes. He's the evil. bully. He's a bully, he's evil, and he will, and he will actually, I mean, like, and he He's died, on the opposing hockey team. But he actually died at the end of the film, which also kind of surprised Very me. Very rare in Disney Very films rare. for anyone to die. He didn't die, um, on screen, but he, he got trapped in agonizing pain underneath a, like, piece of, like, a, you know, a piece of cabling or whatever, uh, so you couldn't move, and then you saw, like, the giant tachyon thing happened. fall on him, and, like, the, sh- the fear in his eyes, and it's like... You must hate that character mm. a great deal. To have him die like that. Like, did Scar die? Yeah. Mm, I have no idea. I think Scar was run out of town. I'm... And Scar is a murderer. Now, Hugh Laurie's character is not a murderer. I find it very interesting. It's like, 
what why is it that you and it's like you don't hate Hugh Laurie because he hates politicians and um, you hate Hugh Laurie because he disagrees with George Clooney you hate Hugh Laurie because he disagrees with George Clooney bad bad reason to die um bad reason to die okay I do want to wrap this up because we've been going for a while yeah so let's revisit some of our uh key points Tomorrowland. We did a little bit. We did a little bit. Tomorrowland, bad film, but also really, really interestingly bad at Utopia. Really interesting, very, very Disney version of uh, Utopia as a a non-existent ad for a dream. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Like, yeah, like an ad for a dream that has already happened and failed and is only good because it failed, but maybe we can start it up again Again, it won't spread into our world and make our world better, but maybe we can restart that dream. And there's also, like, in, cyber, in Cyberpunk is, you know, retro-futurist, but almost determinally not utopian. Almost, a, mm. yeah, it's aggressively dystopian, it's got drones and so on and so forth. Well, and and then, the benefit of dystopia is that it, um, it forces you to fight, right? So, as opposed to Tomorrowland, where all of the fight is actually sort of, like, like sapped out of the problem, mm. right? Where you could just kill Hugh Laurie and be done with it. Dystopia will keep making you struggle to eke out even the tiniest bit of a future, and, and a, a better future. And I find this interesting about Dystopia in that it is not unlike Utopia, because both of them are connected to the hope for a better world. Like, like absolutely. That's the whole point of a dystopian narrative, is that you want to make, make the world better. It's just very difficult in dystopia and uh, and the thing in in cyberpunk 2077 the game literally in the trailer you have a character who's a black woman say we have to form a popular rebellion against the totalitarian government i, just can't, I don't believe I, I, it just says that in the game by the company that says we don't might do political games okay but and then we link that to to solar punk mm. which was a reaction a response to to cyberpunk of course um, both in its language and its 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 aesthetic, its design, which is inherently a little bit, not a, not a little bit like the Art Deco, the the robes, the the like big green spaces and a, a beautiful, extremely uh, I don't know Swedish kind of city. Yeah, like um, Swedish Japanese. It's definitely that vibe. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, hopefully less racist than both of us. Right. Uh, but, but again, this is the point, right? Is that is that all of the Aesthetic features of, of solar punk are like multi multi ethnic. Yes, is, you know, and, and similar to Tomorrowland in that it's a, it's a, it's an advertisement for a dream that could happen, yeah, but hasn't yet. And I think actually the, the one of the actual real differences between solar punk and Tomorrowland is that Tomorrowland's they're both premised on free energy, right? Mm-hmm. And free energy is obviously something very important to Utopias because it allows us to continue dreaming and doing things very quickly. It's connected yep. to like technological acceleration, yep, right. Now, solar punk's free energy is obviously solar power, mm-hmm. right? That's obviously attainable. It's like getting from everywhere it has solar power to, like, Art Deco gardens. A bit weird, but okay. But, like, Tomorrowland's uh, um, free energy is, I don't know, tachyons or something. It's like tachyons. It's like big laser, big laser MacGuffin. electric MacGuffin beams, right? And that, it's, it's like, it's not clear where, where the, how that is accessible. You can't get to the pocket... To get into the pocket dimension, they launch a rocket from within the Eiffel Tower. Gee, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Fuck off. Oh, I have have not told you so much of the plot. You think, you think that I told you the plot? My God, did I not, Dom? This is canceling the apocalypse. 
Consider it cancelled. No, we have to keep working. Yeah, we, we always have to keep working. Uh, my name is Dom. My name is Raf, and I hate Tomorrowland. We both hate Tomorrowland. We're not even ranking this because this is so low. I'm sorry, Hugh Laurie. You didn't deserve to die. Ah. Oh.